Well, I want to start off by reciting our passage to you as if I'm the Apostle Paul and directly to you. And I just want you to receive it. I don't want you to be looking at your Bibles and checking my work because I'm going to say something wrong. <laughs> but later on, you can check, okay? But that will make me nervous if you're like, uh, uh, the, the, the but, the and, or whatever, okay? So um, I want to speak it to you um, as if I'm the Apostle Paul, and I'm going to paraphrase it and kind of use the way I've translated it. Church, look carefully then how you walk. Not, not as unwise, but as wise. You want to know how to do that? Make most of the time because the days are evil. And do not be foolish, but rather understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine. For that is debauchery. But instead of being drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. And address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And giving thanks always and for everything to God our Father. And submitting to one another in Christ, uh, out of reverence for Christ. I want to pray. Let's pray. Father, this is such a precious text. And I've studied this so many times, and yet I don't feel like I've even scratched the surface. So help us together go deeper. Not because we want to intellectually just know something, but because we want to know a person. We want to know you. So would you speak? Would you meet us? Would you pray right now for your own self and ask God to speak to you? simple is speak to me, God, through this, through the word. And maybe you're far from God or you're not even a Christian. Would you even have the boldness to say, if you are real, God, if you are who these people say you are, would you speak to me today? Would you pray for those sitting around you that God would so move and encounter and transform them also? pray for me that I would be faithful to this text and God would speak through this. Holy Spirit, would you fill me now so that we all may be filled even more. Pray against every distraction in this room all the junk that happened this week, the trials of this world, of this broken, hard world, the trials and the fights against our own flesh, the failings that all of us are carrying in, that we would just all be able to come before you and we'd be able to focus and receive from you. I pray for concision of speech and authority as I speak the truth and nothing but the truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but I have, a, I have my biggest fear, and I think about it often. Do you know what my biggest fear is? For those of you guys who know, most of you guys know me pretty well. What, what would my biggest fear be? Don't throw it out there, because that, that's going to be embarrassing. <laughs> I, I just realized that sounded like I actually wanted you to respond. That, that was rhetorical. My biggest fear, ever since I become a Christ, became a Christian, so 15 years now, is that I would waste my life. That's my biggest fear. Now, I know other people may have other fears, like speaking in front of people, or, you know, there's a variety of different phobias. But for whatever reason, God has shaped my heart to have a deep fear of wasting my life. And I think there have been times that it's been very unhealthy. But for the most part, I think it's a healthy fear. Because the reality is, who wants to waste their life? That, I, I hope you don't want to raise your hand for that. Who wants to waste their life? And so this passage is going to show us a lot of things, but one of the things it's going to answer, one of the burning questions is how not to waste your life in light of this world. 
in light of the age that we are in. How not to waste your life like a fool. I hope all of you guys don't want to waste your life like a fool. And that's why we're going to, one of the reasons why we're going to go to the text. So for those of you guys who take notes or like to know where we're going, we're going to start off by kind of establishing the context that we've been talking about in this passage that Paul has been preaching, uh, has been speaking, writing to the Ephesians. Then we're going to talk about the, the major call that he's calling us in this passage. Then we're going to talk about why he's saying it. What's the situation? Why would he say such a thing? Why do we need to care about that? Then he's going to talk about what it means to be living wisely. And then we're going to look at how do we live wisely, and that's being filled with the Spirit. And how do you, be, how are you, how, how do you get filled with the Spirit? Well, how, how, what does that mean for us? We're going to unpack all of that. So there's a lot here, but I'm going to let you know that there's going to be a lot in this passage that I'm going to punt into the midweek podcast. So we will be recording that, God willing, this Wednesday. So there's a lot that I want to share in this text that it just would clutter the main points here and, and make this sermon like 14 hours. So I'm going to put it to the midweek podcast. So it's going to be very long, but it's going to be good. So just let you guys know that. So context. Context is always important. What, what are we talking about? What's happening? So Paul just talked to us about living differently from the world. He's contrasting what it looks like to be a Christian and what we used to be like before Christ. He talks, he uses language like darkness and light. You used to be darkness, now you are light. And he even uses the very last verse in uh, verse 14, he talks about being awake. Awake, O sleeper. And so there's people who are sleeping and then people who are awake. And he's calling us, wake up, wake up. And that's what Pastor Ross preached last week. And so he moves on from talking about light and darkness and being asleep and being awake to now talking about wise and foolish. He's calling us, what does it look like to be a wise Christian? Christians are wise. What, what does that look like? What does that mean? How do you do that? And so this is a central call. Look at verse 15, Ephesians 5, 15. If you have a Bible, please open that up. Now you can check my work, all right? And, and, and please hear me if you're new. I want people to always be looking at the Bible more than they're looking at me because I want you to receive from this. And as much as I'm being clear about this, you should trust me. If I'm not being clear, then you should challenge me. And that's your responsibility, especially you members of APC. If we're, never, if we're ever being unfaithful to this, you must challenge us. Ephesians 5.15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. This word walk is something we've seen throughout the whole book of Ephesians. And praise God for life. I'm so glad that we have life in this church. This is good. Um, the word walk is a synonym for live. Look carefully how you live. So whenever you see the word walk, don't think, like, is there a certain kind of style of walking? But it's, it's how do you live your life? Look carefully how you do that. So we must ask ourselves this very, very basic question. Do I know how I am walking and where I am walking to? Do I know how I'm walking and where I'm walking to? I know that sounds so basic, but most people aren't even aware that there is a way that they are living. They are just basically thrown left and right by every wind of doctrine, as Ephesians chapter 4 says, every fad of our culture. Whatever the world says is cool, they will go with. Whatever the world says is, is bad, they will go with, and they are just taken to and fro. And that's just only on what the, way, the way they think, their values and their philosophies and, and so forth, their worldview, but also the way you, what you do with your time. Well, everyone does that with their time. Well, everyone does that when they come home from work. Well, everyone does, well, everyone, whatever the blank, fill in the blank is, and we just kind of go. And so most of us, and I would say most people in general, have never looked carefully, how am I living? Where am I going? This is kind of why we did the whole God-centered life planning worksheets at all of our DNA groups went. Because we want to know, what are we, are, are the things that we say that we're about, are we really living like that? Are the values that we say that we, we um, aspire to, are we actually on track to go towards that? Or are we just, just saying things? I love what one pastor says about this verse. It's going to be on the screen. Everything worth doing requires care. We all take care over the things which seems to us to matter. Our job, our education, our home and family, our hobbies, our dress and appearance, 
So as Christians, we must take care over our Christian life or Christian walk. Do you look carefully how you walk? Or are you just walking blindly? And there is a way to live your life that is wise and a way to live your life that is unwise. Therefore, what are the marks of a wise walker, an unwise walker? Well, verse 16. This word, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil, making the best use of time, is modifying this main call of the way, looking carefully how you walk. So if you want to know how to walk carefully, make the best use of the time. And then he unpacks why we should make the best use of time. L- let me start off with giving you an illustration. Imagine you had a, a bank, a very generous bank, that every day in the morning, right at 12 a.m., you were given $86,400 deposit into your bank every morning. I love how one person went, I have never made $86,000 in a year. That's a lot. Every day you get this $86,000, but at midnight that day, whatever's not used, whatever that remains, is taken. And it starts over again. What would you do? Well, if you're me, if, I, if it was me, I would withdraw immediately, every day. Thank you very much. And I'll put that in another bank that doesn't erase all my money at the end of the day, right? And I'll keep doing this. This is a great arrangement. Thank you. Thank you. I would do that. I would try to use every minute, every dollar there. And I just tip my hand by saying every minute. And as some of you guys maybe shrewdly have thought about, is that that's kind of how it works. We're given 84 86,400 minutes a day, all of us, no matter how, who you are, no matter if you're rich, poor, smart, dumb, we all have the same amount of time. It's actually cents, sorry about that. Or maybe it's a minute, I need, I need to look that up. Okay, someone check that out real quick with me. But you guys get my point, right? But here's the tricky thing. There's no rollover. There's not like, oh, I really didn't spend much time yesterday, so then now I have more time today. Like today is 29 hours, right? That would be wonderful. I would like that, right? There's no singular rollover kind of situation. What's there is there, and when it's gone, it's gone, no matter who you are. And for me, that is extremely convicting because we have only one life that we live, and then it's over. And no matter who you are, with all the resources that you can have or not have, the one thing that equalizes everybody is time. Time is that precious commodity that all of us are limited. And I think that, this, uh, that Paul is alluding to actually to Psalm 90, verse 12. You can see it on the screen, but you can flip to it if you're quick. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. The New Living Translation says it this way, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. The brevity of life, the shortness of life. This word that Paul uses to make the most of, is it's a term that you would use in commerce, buying. Buy it back. Don't lose it. It's there for a second. If you don't spend it, you lose it. And all of us are spending our dollars, our Time dollars, every single one of us. Paul is calling us, look carefully on where you're putting that money into, that time dollars into. Right? You would never make an investment without researching it. You would never just haphazardly just throw money at something. Hey, I got this idea. Oh, great. Here, let me throw it. I don't even need to know what it is. You have an idea? Great. Right? None of us would do that. And yet, the most important commodity that we have, many of us will go, Extended periods where we don't even think, what are, we, what am I depositing this money into? What am I investing it into? Does it matter? Jonathan Edwards, the philosopher, theologian, not our Jonathan Edwards who's sitting right there, <laughs> our very own Jonathan Edwards. If you don't know this, Jonathan Edwards attends our church. So he's a founding member, actually. So if you've ever wondered how awesome we are, that, not, that's all you need to know. Um, side story. When we were meeting with our, our Ascending Church, Cities Church, they were asking us, hey, who's your core team? And this is like the final meeting before they give us the blessing to go out. And we gave them names. And we said, Jonathan Edwards is one of them. 
And uh, there's one, one brother, one pastor there. His name is David Mathis. And he says, wait, wait, stop. Jonathan Edwards goes to your church? And we're like, yeah, yeah, he's, you know, he's, he's not the actual, yeah. And he's like, I know that. Well, there's nothing left to be said. You are sent. <laughs> Do you guys remember that? Was, he's like, all right, it's all, we're done. We don't need to even hear your vision, your plan, your finances. You're good, you're good. You have Jonathan Edwards. Anyway, as a side note. But Jonathan Edwards, he wrote one time before his 20th birthday, he wrote all these resolutions. He wrote this, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. What a crazy statement, because in our culture, we have statements like, oh, I'm just blanking time. What do we say? Killing time. Yeah, just killing time. It's a big deal. But, but, but Jonathan Edwards is like, I'm, I'm trying to capture every single one of it. I don't want to waste my life. I don't even want to waste a minute, because a life is made of, of a lot of minutes. Edwards was wise because he deeply understood that the age he was in. Verse 16, he says, because the days are evil. What does he mean the days are evil? Is he talking about the calendar days? Every day is an evil day, and he's just like a crazy person who's like, it's all going to hell. Like, is, is he, what is he saying? What, what's going on here? Well, let me help you understand this idea of days or eras. You guys have all probably seen movies where, like, something dramatic shifts in a battle or something starts, and there's always, like, some wise old man who's sitting there in the corner, and he says, and it's dramatic. It's like, hands in. He says, so it begins. You guys know what I'm talking about? The age of the blank, right? I think there's a Star Wars movie where Yoda is, like, so the, I don't know. I'm not even trying. But, like, the, the beginning of the Clone Wars or something like that, right? So we all, all have this category where something will begin. It's like a new era. And that's kind of what Paul is talking about. It's the era of evil. What I mean by that? Well, the Bible categorizes the world in two kind of eras, history in two eras. It's the, the present evil age and the coming age. Present evil age and the coming age. Well, why do I say the present evil age? Well, you can look at Galatians 1.4. It's up there. Christ, who gave himself up for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. So this present age is also called the evil age, according to Scripture. What do we mean by that? Well, it means by right now, the God of this world, Satan, is still ruling and he's influencing the world in the flesh. And he has limited reign, but he still has reign. His greatest weapon against the church has been taken from him on the cross, but he still can bite. He's like a little dog that has a great bark, but little bite. But he still has a great bark. And he's influencing the world and culture and so forth to try to bring us down. And we've seen in Ephesians this, Ephesians this kind of repeated theme of already, not yet. You guys remember that? We've been talking about the already, but not yet. So the reality is the new era has already broken in for the, for the Ephesians. They are now light in the Lord, according to Ephesians chapter 5. They are now sons and daughters. They, they have been... Born again, all these realities are here right now. And yet, we still sin. And yet, we still struggle. And yet, there's trials and tribulations. And so there's this weird overlap of the ages. So we got the present age here, and then we got the coming age when Christ fully reigns. And that right now, it has this overlap. So that's why it's a little weird. where you, you see a little bit of the new, but yet the old is still happening. It's a confusing era we're in where it's breaking in, but yet the old is still reigning at some level. But Paul does not advise them to passively find a safe place to wait until Christ returns, but to participate with this risen, victorious Christ and to expand his presence and his power everywhere they go. The fullness of God to fill all of the earth. And so that's what's going on. Jonathan Edwards and Paul and many others are acutely aware that we are in this evil age. The days are evil, and so therefore, they take very seriously how they spend their time. Listen, if you are not careful with the way you walk, you will waste your life. If you want to know how to waste your life, just don't be careful how you walk. You'll waste it. 
it, it's it's not it, it's an automatic. It's either I'm going to waste my life or I'm going to live carefully. It, there's no neutral. If you're not careful, it's going to happen. Because you have all of these powers, great cosmic powers working against you. So you're not just in a neutral state. If you're not being careful and being led by the Holy Spirit, you're going to be thrown into the tumult of all of these forces moving around trying to manipulate you and trying to affect you. Listen, if you do not intentionally manage your time, your talents, your energies, Satan will. Guarantee it. If you do not intentionally Manage your time, your talents, your energies, Satan will. He will. He will find ways. And if, if he can't take you down, he'll at least get you to settle for okay. Or acceptable, or satisfactory. He doesn't want you to have the best that God has for you. Look at verse 17 with me. So in light of this evil days, these evil days, Paul says, Therefore, do not be foolish. Do not be foolish. Wake up. But understand what the will of the Lord is, he's saying. Do not be foolish, okay? In light of these evil days, don't be a fool. Don't waste your life. But understand what the will of the Lord is. So what's the opposite of being foolish in this passage? Understanding the will of the Lord. So what's the will of the Lord? What are we talking about? Now, the will of the Lord, I'm going to do a little side discourse about the will of the Lord because it's a confusing thing. Right, because we, we pray, we're like, oh, I want to understand God's will for this situation. Now, Scripture generally talks about two different kinds of wills when it comes to our lives. God's general will and particular will. Okay, general and particular. General will is everything that God has said for his people. The general principles, the general history, and the general kind of where everything is heading. That's his will, what he's revealed, that he's about, what he cares about, what he wants for his people. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be like Christ. Now, the particular will, on the other hand, is the particulars of our life. So the Bible doesn't tell you who you should marry. It tells you a lot about what that person could be like, should be like, what kind of person you should be like. It doesn't say like, oh, oh, let me see, let's look for a word. I'm looking for, you know, and then you, you find a word and you try to match that person or you read something in here and you read red and you look up and someone's wearing a red shirt. Oh, Jesus, there you go, there you go. That person's the one, right? No, no, the Bible doesn't give us much on his particular will, but it gives us a lot about the general will. And as we understand the general will more, we are shaped and our instincts are sharpened so we understand what he would want, what his will would be in all the particulars. And as we do it together with the community, as we pray, the more and more this, this starts to shape the way we think, our values, what we love, what we hate, the more we will be able to navigate all the complexities that are thrown at us all the time in life. So if you don't know this, you're not going to understand this particular well. And also, the particular well deeply helped in understanding as you have the community of Christ coming around side and praying and helping you think through how to live that out. And so that's generally how Scripture talks about two kinds of wills for believers when it comes to directing our lives. However, what is the will of the Lord in this passage particularly? We'll look at verse 18. This is his will. Do not get drunk with wine. But for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit. Okay, Paul gives two commands here. Two commands. The first command is... Do not get drunk. And the second one is be filled with the Spirit. We're going to unlock those, unpack those, because one of them is helping you understand the other. Okay? One of them is a negative command, prohibition. The other one's a positive, but the positive is made clearer by understanding the negative. So do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. This prohibition is kind of surprising because he doesn't talk about wine or alcohol or, or being drunk at all up to this point. So it's kind of coming out of nowhere. So different scholars debate, like, wait, why is he talking about, why is he highlighting this, right? Because he's been talking about sexual morality and greed and the way we speak to one another, the way we use the tongue and so forth. But all of a sudden, this thing comes out of nowhere. But at minimum, what we can say is that Paul is using what it means to be drunk to help us understand what it means to be filled. Okay? So we're going to see that in a second. Let's start off by thinking about drinking. Why would anyone drink to excess? Well, we can go really deep and talk about family background and how there's generational patterns and so forth. But, but I mean like psychologically and consciously, why would somebody be compelled to take up a drink and to get 
drunk? Well, some people, they drink for escape. It's, it's the only way they can forget all the problems that are looming and breathing down their neck. They just need to escape, and they need the bottle. Well, some people, they drink for warmth and vulnerability, right? They, they, they can't be courageous or be re- warm with people unless they have some drinks. Is it, don't some people call it liquid courage, right? They need that so that they can ask that girl out or to say those hard things to that person, or they need to, they need to get ready for that situation that they want to avoid. Or some people, um, they, they drink just because they want to be happy, which is strange because if you look at how alcohol is classified, it's ca- classified as a what? Depressant. Depressant, which is weird because sometimes people can be so happy when they're drunk. Why are you so happy when it's a depressant? Well, what we understand is that Alcohol, enough of it will start to shut things down to where you can actually kind of forget the things that bother you, and that can cause a seemingly state of happiness as you escape the things that ail your mind and your heart. See, the thing is, it it depresses your brain, so it shows you less of reality. And so... Paul is using this to help us understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit. One side note again. He makes this one statement, which is debauchery. Now, I know that's like your favorite word. We use it all the time in our house, like debauchery this, debauchery that, right? But I never use the word debauchery, okay? So what is debauchery? Debauchery, um, another word is dissipation, which is another word that very, very popular word. So debauchery is basically translated wasted, lack of control, lack of moral constraint. It's just wasted. Which is which kind of the mindset we think of it, oh, the old town drunk, he's just wasting his life away with booze, right? We just have this idea of wastedness. Drunkenness is wastedness. This is contrasted to the beginning of the passage that talks about redeeming the time. So rather than making most of the time, you're just wasting away your life. It's a few it's important for me to make a few comments about alcohol. This is why I love expository preaching. Ross mentioned this last week. We've been talking about lust a lot lately because the text has been talking about lust. Now, Ross and I both have had serious bouts against lust and had to fight against it, and we still have to be careful with it. But for whatever reason, I have not had a struggle with alcohol. Okay? Um, part of it is because I'm allergic to it. Okay? <laughs> so when I drink just a little bit of it, my face turns bright red, and I'm just like just freaking out, and it's not comfortable. So... When people drink to get happy, I, I don't feel that. I feel very unhappy. So, so that's part of it, right? And genetically, just, just generationally, my family has not struggled. My, our family has struggled with adultery, uh, but my, my family has not struggled with alcohol. But um, I love expository preaching because sometimes if I'm just preaching whatever I want to preach and what's important to me, I may never mention alcohol because it's not something I struggle with. But the reality is millions of people struggle with alcohol. And I don't know where all of you guys are with alcohol. It is a God-given gift that we can enjoy. And no one should ever forbid it, according to scriptures. But I want to just ask you, church, especially members, if your relationship with alcohol is healthy. And, and I'm not talking about people who have a conscience that won't let them touch it and it's the devil's juice or whatever you want to call it. But I'm talking about the people who regularly have alcohol in your, in your cupboards in your life. Right now we don't have it because Joanna's pregnant, so... We don't have any. But maybe you're in a situation. Here's just a couple questions to ask. Maybe you're in a situation where you can't imagine coming home without having a drink after a hard day. Or you can't imagine a day without a drink. You can't imagine being at a party or even having a good time without having to drink. Or maybe you come to be in a situation where life is hard and you notice that the immediate disposition is I need something. Those, those are some helpful questions maybe you can ask. If, and, and I would encourage you to talk to your DNA group. If you have suspects, if you have an unhealthy relationship with a, a gift that God has given us that can often be abused. There's much to say about alcohol, but I just wanted to make a side note because the, the passage demands me too. Now, what Paul here does is something that he does throughout the, his script. Every letter he writes and what God does throughout the Bible. And listen, this is important. He doesn't just say don't. He says do this instead. 
Christianity is not a religion of just don't do that, but do this instead. I have something better for you. And I love that this passage doesn't just say, and don't get drunk with wine. All right, next point. But he said, no, 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 no. Don't get drunk with wine, for that's a botry, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, many questions can be asked about the filling of the Holy Spirit. Some people talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or is there a second baptism? And those are really important questions. I'm very interested. I know some of you guys are interested. I'm going to punt all that to the midweek podcast. So we're going to do a, we're going to walk you through the scriptures this week and talk about what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit more and baptized in the Holy Spirit and so forth. So I just want to let you guys know we're going to go deeper into that. But we're going to focus more about what is Paul getting at regarding being filled with the Holy Spirit in this passage here. Now the verb here is a present verb and it's a continuous verb. That's what the, the Greek here shows. It's a continuous verb. So it's not be filled one time, but it's be filled and be filled and be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, another question that you may wonder is, wait, 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 are they not Christians? Because I thought the Ephesians were Christians. So what, what is he saying? What is this filling with the Holy Spirit? Now, look at verse 13 in chapter 1, Ephesians 1, 13. Uh, you can probably flip to it really quickly. To 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, what happened? They were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So, these are Christians. Do they have the Holy Spirit already? Yes. Yes. They have the Holy Spirit already. So, what is Paul saying that they need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, they have the Holy Spirit, so he's kind of saying like, have more of it. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does this mean, filled? I think growing up, when I would hear this term, and even in the last few years, when I think filled, I kind of think of like water in a cup, right? And that can be helpful, but the problem is, is if we start treating the Holy Spirit like a liquid, right? You need more of the Holy Spirit. Fill me up, Lord, right? And then, oh, no, I leaked. I don't have more of less. I have less of the Holy Spirit. I need more of the Holy Spirit. And, and it gets confusing when we think about all the physics and the, the filling. And you're like, but how can you be full of the Spirit and yet be more full? Right? There's all these questions. I think it's helpful to look at a couple passages to see how the Bible talks about filling language sometimes. Look at John 16, 6. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So we wouldn't think about sorrow as like a liquid or some sort of substance. Oh my gosh, sorrow is in me. Get it out of me, right? right. Sorrow has filled your heart. Look at Acts 13, 52. And the disciples were filled with joy with the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 14 talks about knowledge filling us. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Okay, so what do we make of these passages? There's more to go, but let me just make this point. I don't think any of us have a difficulty understanding how if, if, if something is all around you, that you talk about it, that you're characterized about, someone can say, oh, you're full of that. You're full of joy today. No one would ever say, oh, wait, wait, what's it, where is it, right? What we think physically. No, no, it, it's a characterizing, uh, all-consuming reality of who you are. And so when we say filled with the Spirit, don't think about like some Casperish ghost coming to you and like, whoa, right? Because I think Hollywood has made us kind of think that way. But think all of who God is, and this is what he prays in Ephesians chapter 3, the fullness of God. I want the way God thinks. I want, the what he, I want what he loves. I want what he hates. I want what he's about to be what I'm all about, where it controls me, consumes me. See, we, we talked about being drunk and being filled with wine and now comparing that being filled with the Holy Spirit because we, we often say if someone is driving drunk, we call that they were driving what? Under the influence. Okay, they're under the influence, which is the title of the sermon. They're driving under the influence of alcohol. And so the call here by Paul is are you, are you under the influence of the Holy Spirit? or wine, or some other 
thing? What is controlling you? What is influencing you? When you think of being filled with the Spirit, don't think about someone who's like reckless and crazy and out of control. It's actually not like that. See, this is where illustrations all fall flat. In one sense, that's true because you are yielding to someone else. You're not in control because you're giving control away to someone else, namely God. And in one way, your mind is not your own because you're trying to give your thoughts over to God and think his thoughts. But there's a sense that you are more in control than ever before. You are not out of control because the Holy Spirit is empowering you to have control in the things that matter. Let, let's explore more about this idea of being drunk. I, now, listen, a lot of you guys know this. Um, I used to drive Uber and Lyft. I have never interacted with more drunk people than when I was driving Uber and Lyft, okay, all the time. And it was very interesting. It was a great opportunity to care and love and make sure people get home safely. And I remember the first night I was on the job, first night, I pick up this lady like, I think in White Bear Lake, okay, really far out uh, from where I was at, and, and um, she just is so boisterous, so joyful and happy, and just telling about all the things she did that night, and just so happy, and just loud, I'm so loud, I was like, good night, lady, this is small car, I'm in a Prius, and she's just blaring out, and then like halfway in the drive, she just starts uncontrollably crying. I'm like, what is going on here? And I'm just asking her, like, what's going on? And, and, and she just starts opening up. And, and so th- we have this idea of someone who's drunk, just they don't have control, right? They're just all over the place. Their faculties are all shutting down, and they're just out of control. And sometimes they can't stay awake. I remember there's a really popular um, brewery. I'm not going to say the name, but I drove the owner home, and he drank too much that night, and he just kept passing out in my car. We even went to Taco Bell, and he kept trying to get out of the car and, like, just fall on the ground, and it was just all over, and we just tried to help him, and finally, when I dropped him off, I, as I pull out, I look, and I, there was a giant mound of dirt, because there was a hole that construction did, and I just saw him face planted in the dirt, just like that, just like that, and um, I found that funny, because he owned the bar, um, and, uh, and, and so there, there's this reality of lack of control. When you are on depressants, you lose control, you start seeing less, Things shut down. But the cool thing about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's more like a stimulant. You see more. You see things sharper. You have more control because the Holy Spirit is energizing you and empowering you. You don't avoid the problems. You're able to head them. You're able to tackle them because the Holy Spirit is giving you courage and power. It's, It's crazy how the Holy Spirit is so different the Holy Spirit gives you courage. The Holy Spirit gives you joy. The Holy Spirit gives you true escape that actually matters and doesn't just avoid. But here's the problem with this whole idea of being filled. This word filled, be, be filled, is passive. And we're not being filled by ourselves. We're being filled by the Holy Spirit. And so here lies the problem of this passage. Paul is calling us to do something we can't do. We are commanded to be full, and yet we are not the filler. The Spirit is. So what do we do? Well, here are three things. Pray, yield, and surround yourselves with means of grace. We're going to talk about means of grace more on the podcast, but I'm going to talk about pray and yield more. Number one, pray. Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. We pray. We say, God, I can't do, but you can so I'm praying, would you fill me with all the fullness, all of who you are, I want that to be. I want your character, I want the way you think, I want the way you act, I want to be like you. You're asking for that reality. Number two, yield. Yield. And this is the word I just really want to emphasize. Yield. If you want to understand what the will of the Lord, it's for you to surrender to him. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, you surrender to the Holy Spirit. His ways are always better. You guys understand what yielding is, right? Right, you, you go to a, a inter- injunction, and there's a sign that says yield. And someone else comes, and all of us want to go. Right? No one's like, oh, please. Right? Like we want to go, but because that sign's there, we're saying, okay, you go first. We yield to that person. That that is kind of the idea that we're getting at. We are all prone to be in control. We are all prone to be the driver to have the control, to go first, to put ourselves first. No, 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 you wait. You wait. I was here first, right? Anyone say that recently? I say that all the time. Not all the time, okay? But that is our nature. 
And what happens when you become a Christian is that the Christian, he or she, realizes that they are not that good of a driver. They realize that God is a better king, that God is a better God, that his ways are better than our ways, even if we still think we know better sometimes. And so we stop and we yield. Your way, Holy Spirit. You, you go first. I, I don't even agree this time. I don't get it, but you go first. And you know what happens? The more you yield, the easier it gets. The more you say, no, 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 Holy Spirit, you go. No, Holy Spirit, your way is better. Then you start to think the way he thinks. And you no longer ye- have to yield because that's just what you'd want to do. And that's how it works. That's how it's sanctification works. You s- increasingly, as we yield, we start to want what he wants. And so it's no longer a wrestle. You're not surrendering because that's what you want. And it's kind of like this idea of compartments in our heart. Every time we say, no, 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 you can have that compartment. You can have that compartment. And as the Holy Spirit fills the, the rooms of our heart, the more we have access to his power. Have you ever met a Christian who their life just seems easy? You know, wh- what I mean not by easy, I don't mean by like they don't go through tragedy. They may go through severe tragedy. They may have terrible things that have happened to them. But yet there's a levity and a joy and a calmness and a steadiness in their life that you're like, how, how, I don't get that. Have you guys ever met those Christians? I've met some like that, who despite the severest, most painful trials, there's a calmness and a joy. And why, why is that? How can you become that kind of person? Well, that kind of person is one who has yielded to the Holy Spirit over and over again to where now truly that passage is true, that Jesus says, my burden is light, my yoke is easy. See, it's when we can try to hold on to control and we just give little bits where it's hard. Christianity isn't meant to be hard. I'm not saying it's not gonna, we're not going to go through trials. It's, but our relationship with God, our ability to fight sin, shouldn't be as hard as it is. But do you know why it's so hard for me and for often for you? It's because we give them little bits. So we don't have access to the full power. It's when we surrender all and say, you can have everything. That all of a sudden, it becomes easier. It can it compounds, becomes exponentially more light. So, so, so you have that moment where God calls you, you know it, you feel it, you need to talk to that person, or you need to confess to that person, or you need to apologize, or you need to give this money away, or you need to do something, and you're, you're fighting, you I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, and you said, ah, and you do it, and you yield. And you know what? Oh, it's not that bad. Thank you, Lord. And the, then a little joy comes. And then the next time God calls you to, you're at a crossroads and you, you ju- don't want to do that thing. And you say, oh, I yield to you. And the more you yield, the easier it gets. And then all of a sudden the joy yeah, comes. And the power comes. So if you feel powerless and you're always just feel like you're just always under a boots, like you're just not strong enough, maybe you just haven't fully surrendered. See, if Christ is not Lord of all, he's not Lord. And if you hold back, you immediately cut yourself off from power. Let let me put it another way. Think about a relationship. There are seasons in my life with Joanna where I feel more pleasure from her, more joy, more, just more of her. She's given to me. And there's times where I have given my heart to other pursuits, other things where I've neglected her. That one little thing in one way cuts us off from communion, and from pleasure, and from intimacy. Not that we're divorced all of a sudden, okay? We, we have, like, get divorced every time something bad happens. But what, what it does, it, it, it severely severs the communion my wife and I have. But when there's nothing on the table, there's nothing that's hindering us, there's just this fullness, and this freedom, and joy, and levity in, in our marriage. You, you guys know what I'm talking about? In your relationship with Christ, if you hold back some, it holds back at all. Because he's a relationship. This is a relationship we have with a person. We can't be like, oh, yeah, honey, um, well, I, I gave up these three girls, but this one girl, not this time. But you, I'm sure you're happy because these other three girls, I gave them up. Right? Like that, that wouldn't work. Right? 
we have to think about a relationship with Christ like a real relationship. It would not work to be in a healthy marriage where you hold back a, so much in your life and, and only give selected pieces. Your marriage would fall apart. And the same thing with Christ. If Christ is not Lord of all, if you have not given him all, you can't give him anything. And if you feel that struggle, it's maybe because you're holding on. Now, let, let, me, let me switch gears a little and go back to this wine imagery and and um, drunk imagery. Now, Paul highlights um, this one phrase, and I think it's a little strange, but it, I think it may connect to a reality that I see in Revelation. Now, let me, let me help you understand this, okay? I'm going to talk to you guys about something called the harlot of Babylon, okay? <laughs> it sounds crazy, right? It sounds wild. It sounds like um, some, like YouTube video, okay? In Genesis chapter 3, we see the core issue with our rebellion with God is that we wanted to be like God. And then in Genesis chapter 11, you see that same heart manifested in a fuller way at the Tower of Babel where he said, let's make a name for ourselves and we could reach heaven without God. Let's do these great things. And then later on, you see the actual nation of Babylon come and they are manifesting all these realities to a high degree, full of greed, full of violence, full of abuse and so forth. And then ultimately, you see it in Revelation. Look at Revelation chapter 14. See, Revelation it talks about this Babylon, Babylon figure, and it probably represented Rome when the Apostle John wrote it, but it more symbolizes the great enemy of the church. It symbolizes the world's idolatrous, seductive political economy, and it kind of stands in contrast to the city of God that God wants to make. Babylon, that is self-sufficient, haughty, loves itself, is given over to lust and, and, and greed in contrast to the city of God. Now look at Revelation 14.8. Another angel, a second, followed saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And flip over to Revelation 17.1-2. Then one of the angels Seven angels who had the seven bulls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed adulterous sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. Now, Paul, when he wrote Ephesians, wrote this before Revelation was written. However, this concept this category of being drunk on a value, drunk on a worldview, drunk on the world's ways, I think was established before he wrote John the Apostle penned those words. Why, why am I showing you all this? Is that I think that when we look at this passage in verse 18, chapter 5, verse 18, don't think just wine and, and, and think, oh, well, I don't struggle with being drunk, so I'm off the hook. No, think, are you drunk with the world? And, and we use this word influence instead of drunk. Are you influenced by the world? Who has influence over you? What are you under the influence by? TV, famous stars, athletes, your family, money, whatever it is. What influences you? I think there's just this broader category in Scripture that the people of God can go back and drink the juice of the world, in a sense, you know, and fall back and get drunk and forget who they are, get inebriated, and all of a sudden they're under the influence of the world. And my big, great concern is that many of us here, maybe not many, but some of us, I don't know, are under the influence of the world, and you don't even know it. You are drunk. You are influenced. The third means to be filled with the Holy Spirit is surrounding yourself with a bunch of means of, means of grace that he talks about. So the main verse, the main verb here is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he follows out. You know what that looks like when you're filled with the Holy Spirit? You're going to sing. You're going to address one another. You're going to thank God. You're going to submit. And we're going to talk about more of that in the podcast. But I also would say that I think all of those are means to be able to be filled with the Holy Spirit more and more. So if you want to be filled with the Spirit, you know what you can do? Sing to one another. You could be grateful. You can submit. You can surround yourself by these means, and it's kind of like a chicken or the egg, but it's like both and. 
if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you do these things. And if you want to be more filled with the Spirit, you want to be more influenced with the Spirit, you do these things. So someone messaged me today and said, hey, I, I, I can't come today. I'm feeling spiritually sick. And I said, well, then you should come today because you feel spiritually sick, right? right? She, she, she w- the person wasn't like, oh, I'm not filled with the Spirit, so therefore I can't come and sing. No, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, come, come and sing. You see, it's, it's both and they work together. Let me highlight something, an important observation. What do nearly all of these results require? What do I mean results? The singing to one another, giving thanks, submitting. What do they all require? Well, probably a handful of things, but one thing that they all require is people, community. See, we can take this passage and easily just make it very individual. Oh, I want to be filled by the Holy Spirit. All right, I'm going to do it by myself. I'm going to go to a retreat center. I'm going to do all this stuff. And all those things are good and, and necessary. But this passage is calling, if you want to be full of the Spirit, you need community. You need one another. And if you think you're full of the Holy Spirit and you don't care about people and you're not blessing people, you're not full of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes in some circles, we can have this idea that full of the Spirit is just this very emotional, feely, willy-nilly thing where you just, oh, I'm just so full of the Spirit. That was such a great worship service. And it's like, no, if you want to see if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, yes, you should sing because that's a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But are you singing to other people? Are you speaking truth to them? Are you loving them? Are you caring for them? Are you submitting to the proper places that you're supposed to submit? All these are overflows of a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to wrap it up with this. The question I asked you in the very beginning is, how do you not waste your life like a fool? How do you not waste your life like a fool? Well, spend your days under the influence of the Spirit. Spend every minute of your day, spend all your days under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Do you want to be filled Influenced by the Holy Spirit? I think that's a great question to start off with because the reality is if I ask myself that question, it's yes and no, right? Do you really want the Holy Spirit to have full influence in you? Kind of, yeah. Sometimes not in this area because it's really easy for me, but not that area. That, that's the struggle for all of us. And the struggle is that you can't yield to the influence of the Holy Spirit without the Holy Spirit. And so then it brings us back to number one, to pray. Oh, God, I can't do this without you. I surrender to you. The first step is surrender. Your ways are better than my ways. And maybe if you are a follower of Christ, you've surrendered to him once before, but suddenly your control started to seep back in. Maybe there was a day where you went to an altar call or you had a moment alone or some, some other area where you got on your knees and said, Jesus, I give you all. You are Lord. But then over time, you start to take the reins again. And the reality of this passage is this present continuous. It's over and over. It's not like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, one time I did that. No, 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 no. You, do you still do that? You don't make Jesus Lord once in your life. You, you make him Lord every day. Every day when I wake up, I feel the, the rain back, the, 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 the range back in my hands. You know what I'm saying? Every day I wake up and I'm like, oh, what is it doing here, right? And I have a moment where I can say, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I know better. I know how to live life. I, I've, I'm 30. I've been around. I've watched TV, right? No, or, no, 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 no. Oh, what are these doing? These reigns. No, no, no. Jesus, you have them. You're Lord. Every day. It's present. Can you be influenced every day? Filled every day. Surrender every day. And maybe you've never surrendered. If that's you, today is a great day to surrender. He is a better Lord. He is a better king. He is a better God than you will ever be. And he loves you unto death. You can surrender to him, and he will take you up, and he will forgive you. And he'll give you a new spirit, a new heart, a new life, a new community, a new identity that can all be yours if you just surrender to him. If you repent from your sin and trust in him. That's all what he did through the cross. And Christian, members of APC, let me ask you this. Please hear me in this. How much influence does the Holy Spirit have on you? How much influence does the Holy Spirit have on you? hard question to answer and the only way you really know it is if you take inventory of your life 
you know, there, there are different, different degrees people have influence. There, there's certain people in my life that I have more influence over. I have more influence over my wife and kids than I do you guys, obviously. That should be right. How much influence does the Holy Spirit have over you? Does the Spirit have influence over your money? Does the Spirit have influence over your time? What about your hobbies? What about your career? What about your free time? What about your love life, relationships? Let me ask you this question. What would you do this week if the Holy Spirit had full influence over you? What would you do this week if the Holy Spirit had full influence over you? Who would you talk to this week at work? Who would you repent to? Who would you confess to? Who would you reconcile with? Who, what would you do with your time? What would you get rid of if the Holy Spirit had full influence? If you want the fullness of God, if you want his joy, you want his power, you've got to yield to his influence. If not, you're just using him. Can you guys imagine what our community, what our church would be like if we all did that every day? Not perfectly, but regularly. Together, encouraging each other daily. Yes, Lord, have your way. I yield to you. Have influence over my thoughts, my time, my money, my everything. Have it all. So all people's church, how do you avoid wasting your life like a fool? I don't want to waste my life, guys. Just spend all your days under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. And we're going we're gonna to respond in prayer and confession. And there's going to be some questions that I just already said that are going to be on the screen for you to think on. Father, thank you for this word. I know it's heavy and it's hard. And I know that there's many realities of this text that still haven't transformed me too. And I, so I don't want to be a hypocrite up here. But I ask that you'd be so merciful to all of us to show us areas that you are pointing at, that you so want to take so that you can give. Areas that you are not influencing, currently have influence over because we're clinging to, that they're idols in our life. Would you have full reign? Would you pry our hands off of these idols so that you can give us more life, more of you? Show us. And if there's someone here who has not fully surrendered to you ever, may they do that now by your grace. And for all of us who have kind of taken the reins back in our hands, would we just drop them now? throw up a white flag, and just surrender again to you afresh. If there's anything I said, Lord, that was incorrect, either in manner or in content, would you correct me? But everything that is true, everything that is right, everything that is of this text, would it transform us deeply more and more, even as I just say. Um, that, that was a lot in that text, and I just want to call you to um, press into your DNA groups, your... MCs, and if you don't have those, come talk with many of us. I think everybody here, every member would be willing to pray with you and talk with you. If, if you feel like you're carrying all that and you can't let go, maybe there's something you're like, Sam, you're making it sound so simple. Just to surrender? I can't surrender that. It's, it's like part of me. Well, if you're in that state, let us help you. Because I, I know there's been times where there's things I could not surrender. No matter how much I prayed to try it, I needed the community to come help. And we don't want to just put this heavy burden and go be blessed. No, let us help carry it with you. So would you receive the benediction now and the commission? This is from 2 Corinthians. Paul ends his letter and he says, May the love of the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. All People's Church, we are a beloved family of missionary servants, and we are called to follow Jesus in everyday life while helping others do the same, especially those who are far from God. So let's do that and be that, and please pray for one another, share with one another, and let's be the church for one another right now.